I'm Leah McHugh. I am here with Michelle Covey from GS1 US. And today we are talking about one of my favorite subjects and probably not most sellers' favorite subjects, barcodes, GTINs, UPCs. <laughs> Hi, Michelle. Hi, I'm so glad to be with you today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. This is something that we get asked a lot of questions about and it's been five years now since Amazon changed their policy on this. It's been several years, yeah. Yeah. And they continue to get stricter and stricter. So I think sellers are finding out more and more that they need to know a little bit more about GS1. So we're here to help as much as we can. Yeah, definitely. It's Yeah, they really weren't enforcing this a lot until I would say even the last 12 months. It's been more so in the last year that they've gotten a lot more strict. So yes. Definitely. So we just wanted to quickly go through the main issues that we see sellers having when it comes to GS1 GTINs. Sure. We do have an article on the website that goes through all of the like, what is a GTIN? <laughs> what is a UPC? Right. So we can skip all over all of that. We already have the basics. All right, good. Now we're getting into the deep, tough stuff. Okay. So one thing we see a lot is people's GTINs being hijacked. When they go to create a new listing with their newly purchased GS1 GTIN, And then Amazon comes back with a message saying that this code is already being used on another product. Yep. So as we started off the call, um, Amazon has definitely gotten a little bit stricter on their listing process. And so a G10 hijacking scenario can happen where maybe a seller has been on the platform for a while and they didn't understand unique identification. They didn't understand the value of having a uniquely identified G10 to their product. They may have gone to an unauthorized source for Mm GTINs. So there's a couple of different scenarios there. But regardless, that seller, maybe the original seller, doesn't have an authentic GTIN assigned to their product. And then the new seller comes on and they have their, like you said, brand new GS1 GTIN and they're ready to list and they run into a collision. So we shouldn't see too many of them going forward. It's really for those sellers that have been on the platform for a while. Yep. But there are a couple of steps that a seller can take generally. And you'll see it even on Amazon seller support where Amazon validates all of the listings against the GS1 database. So a a member who comes to GS1 and gets their identifier, they could be assured that they are the the owner, the true owner of their G10. And Amazon does that check against our global registry platform, make sure that they are that brand owner is associated to their G10. Generally, a brand owner or a seller can then provide their GS1 company prefix, which is what they a certificate that they get when they become a member of GS1 US to prove that they are the true owner. And so they could provide that into a seller support center and then continue, and that should help block, unblock their listing process so they could keep going through the process. We do also find that sometimes that may not work. Yes. <laughs> but GS1 US is here to help. We do have an escalation process because they do use our registry. Mm -hmm. So if you come to GS1 US's uh, member support team, we have an escalation process in place directly with the catalog team that if they're um, providing the G10 and or the prefix and then some other steps, some very short form of information, and we submit that in. And then usually those hijacked listings can be removed so that the true seller can then list their product. Okay, great. Yeah, because seller support are inconsistent (laughs) in their ability to help on anything really, but... (laughs) Yeah, we usually ask as a first step to provide that GS1 company prefix to seller support. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So we do have that escalation process in place. 
And so we do advise members to come to just contact our member support at easy info at gs1us.org. We can make sure you have that information or call into our support center and our team is here to help them. Okay, great. And sort of similarly, if you have an older ASIN that you maybe list with a resold GTIN a while ago before the rules changed, if you're now trying to make that ASIN compliant with a new correct GS1 GTIN, what would be the best way to go about updating that existing ASIN with the new code? Yeah, I guess we call it like a GTIN changeover process. So that is a similar Mm -hmm. situation. So again, if they had an an unauthorized GS1 or an unauthorized identifier on their listing and they want to switch it over to the GS1, Amazon has said the first course of action is to provide all the information to seller support. We find, again, that that sometimes is not as reliable of a um, process. So we do at GS1 US have that same kind of escalation process into Amazon. It does get a little trickier if that seller does have is an FBA participates in FBA and has fulfilled by Amazon and has inventory. Mm -hmm. So there are some extra steps that go into play for in that scenario. Probably too detailed for this, but it just complicates it a little bit. But we do have a process that helps with that changeover. Is it a little bit less complicated if they're using stickered inventory in FBA versus commingled? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Makes sense because they're not using the barcode. Exactly. (laughs) And then another one that we're seeing, which is a sort of a newer issue, again, as Amazon's getting a little bit more strict on these, is people getting a message back when they try to create a new listing saying that they're using codes that don't match the products they're trying to list. Yeah, we see a lot of escalations come in because they think, okay, well, GS1 can help with this. And unfortunately, this is not really a GS1 related issue. It's really more around brand registry. Mm-hmm. So for example, I'm Michelle Shoes and I go to list products and I might be a third-party seller and I try to list Nikes in my listing. Mm-hmm. Nike may be a, a gated brand yep. and not I'm Michelle Shoes not allowed to sell it. Mm-hmm. So that will stop the listing. Or I would have to then submit my paperwork into brand registry saying, yes, I am an authorized seller of this product line. Or if it is truly my brand, but it doesn't match my name, then I might have to submit again through brand registry any kind of trademark or licensing information. So when you get that message, it usually is tied to a brand registry Mm -hmm. scenario. And so the recommendation is to contact brand registry and go through the proper process there. Okay. The way we've been seeing it the most lately is where the GS1 prefix is under their company name. Right. And then they have multiple brand names underneath it. So then it's not matching an Amazon system. Is there a correct way to set that up on your end? We're seeing a lot of people say they need to come in and change their company prefix name to their brand name, which is actually not appropriate because it's really you really should have your prefix under your company name, your organization name. Okay. So it's that brand because you could have multiple brands. So then you're constantly changing your company prefix. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Or the name, the company name associated. So again, the prefix should be associated to your company name. The brands then have to be, again, registered through brand registry associated to that company name. So that's where that confusion should help be clarified. Um, And do you guys have a path to assist with that if brand registry is less than helpful? We don't, unfortunately, because that is not something... It's not really related to a GS1 identifier. Okay. So we don't have... I mean, unfortunately, I'd love to say we could, but we just know that it is a brand registry and that is something that is proprietary to Amazon. So. 
Right. That's, okay. That makes sense. I mean, you're starting to get into like IP and all sorts of issues there. So exactly. Hard to get involved. Exactly. Yep. And then if you are the owner of GTINs and say you have an old one that you used to sell on a product, but you no longer sell that product, can you then use that old code on a new product? So our, the G10 management standard changed in 2018, I believe, several years ago. So prior to that, mm-hmm. brands were, there were some scenarios you were able to reuse G10s on products that were no longer sold in market after a period of time. Um, that standard changed. So some people may have been using that standard or feeling like they could reuse products or G10 prior to that standard change. But now... Mm-hmm. Because products can live in marketplaces much longer than what an original brand manufacturer had intended, the standard has changed so that the G10 associated to the product originally should stay on that product and associated to that product and never be reused in market. So if you do have a new product, you are supposed to assign a new G10 to that. Yeah, it's interesting because usually we see that error with larger brands, actually. People try to yeah. resell larger brands and then goes up as already being... Well, it's the larger brands... Yeah, the larger brands probably were used to the pre-2018 right. standard. And so there's been a lot of education and we need to continue to bring that education out to those brands that GTINs should not be reused. Right. And it must you know, affect your selling a collectible item as well. Those stay in the market. Exactly. For who knows how long. So again, you're just causing more headaches on the logistics side of things. Yep. Not even mentioning the Amazon side of things sales analytics, and a whole bunch of other things that original G10 is associated to that Mm -hmm. you don't want to change that G10. Yeah, that makes sense. And then actually that makes kind of leads us into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is that you at DS1 US are now offering single G10 so people don't have to buy a whole lot if they only sell one product. Yeah. So we understand that sometimes, especially those smaller micro businesses or those early product launches, some sellers only want to launch one or two products. And felt that when they came to GS1, our bundled options were still um, were priced a little too high mm-hmm. for those initial price offerings. So we listened to the market and we wanted to make sure we had offerings that would appeal to even those small brands. So we now launched the single G10 offering versus buying them in bundles where you could get a prefix and then enumerate your G10s from that. Mm-hmm. So the single G10 offering we launched in November. It allows sellers to come get a one, two, three G10s if they need at $30 each and there's no renewal fee. Oh, wow. So associated, it's just a one-time fee. And then that G10, they would get the same benefits. They would get their G10 certificate um, that they could send into Amazon and prove that they're the true owner of that G10. Mm-hmm. Their G10s are also registered in that global registry platform I was mentioning that Amazon does a lot of validations against. So it's still treated as an identifier used in market from GS1. Yeah, that's great. Especially for people just getting started. Exactly. I think as you go along and start selling more and more products, particularly with all of the issues we're talking about with brand registry and such, it's probably better to get the full prefix later on. But just getting started or just testing out a new brand, that single G10 is going to be... There are some business decisions too on getting that prefix because that prefix allows sellers to enumerate other identifiers that might be used in other channels. Right, like EDI and stuff like that. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, that's actually something that I think maybe a lot of Amazon sellers who only sell on Amazon don't know. Exactly. Is that that prefix is used in a lot of other ways in the logistics supply yeah. chain. So it's another business decision as Amazon sellers go to create their business. Where do they want to sell? And if they're going to expand channels, they're going to have to look at how do they want to identify their products and then possibly 
go into other channels and need other identifiers for logistics tracking and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. It's a lot easier if you can just set it up the way it needs to be set up in the first place. Yep. And then one more question I had, which is about licensed products, which again is something we're seeing more and more as they're getting more strict on matching GTINs against brand registry. Mm -hmm. If you're selling a licensed product, which brand or which company should the GTIN be under? Should that be under the licensor or the licensee? So the standard is that the GTIN, that the original manufacturer of the product that G10 should be the one used. So if you are a licensee, you should still use the original G10 associated to the product. So don't reassign your own G10. You should use the original brand manufacturer's G10. There are some scenarios where a seller may sell bundles mm -hmm. of products. Yep. And so that's where the seller can then assign their own G10. So like shampoo, you have a bottle of shampoo and a bottle of conditioner. Both should have their unique GTINs associated to them. Yeah. But if then you sell them and you're like an authorized third-party seller, mm -hmm. you could bundle that and then create your own GTIN for that bundle of the shampoo and conditioner. Right. That is something where if the products are a gated brand, we are finding people run into issues if yep. they bundle it under their own PC, Amazon then comes back and says it doesn't match. Right. But again, it depends on the brand and it depends on brand registry. That's very true. You have to consider that too. It gets complex when you start talking about gated brands. Yeah. And unfortunately, they don't give you a list of those. So. No, you find it out the hard way. <laughs> yeah. And then last question was, I wanted to ask you, what is a GTIN 14 and what should sellers be using that for? Okay. Good question. And we get this a lot too in some of the escalation because when a seller goes to list products initially, they go, okay, I have my GS1 GTIN. And the first thing they see is enter your identifier and then you get a GTIN. And then you also see EAN, UPC, ISBN. Mm -hmm. So that GTIN, when you go to list, is actually associated to the GTIN 14, which is a 14-digit identifier. And that's usually for like a logistical identifier. So more of a palette or a case, depending on upper-level packaging. So it's usually not the each, but it's usually a, a larger, like that larger logistical unit. So you could... And yep. they originally weren't considered for sale. They were usually more for logistical, but we're seeing more right. and more companies are using that. Like you could actually buy a case or a oh, right. if you want. Yep. So that's why Amazon accepts that G1014. Okay, great. Thank you so much for this. We've been getting these questions for like years. Yeah. And I feel like other than telling them to go to seller support, we really haven't been able to give sellers a lot of information. So thank you so much for joining us today. This has been great. You're welcome. Of course, glad to help. Yeah, and I will have all of your information in the show notes as to how people can get more information on GS1, where they can buy single codes or prefixes. And you also shared a info sheet with me before we recorded this, and that will be included as well. So thank you guys so much. And thank you, Michelle. Sounds great. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good day, everybody. All right. Thanks. Bye.